You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Aaron's here. I'm here. Um, That's the group today. Uh, We've got some things to get to. I I just noticed something for the first time, and Aaron said that it's happened before. I still get the Washington Post delivered to my house, um, the actual paper. I would probably guess that 80% of the time I actually don't open up the newspaper because I've read what I've wanted to read online by the time I get around to, you know, uh, the paper, even though it gets delivered, I'm up pretty early and either the night before or the day before so many of these stories that appear in next day's paper have already been available to be consumed. Um, I do like it on the weekends, typically, you know, when there's actually sports, uh, to read, um, but I just noticed something that Aaron said has happened a couple of times. Actually, uh, I guess this would be the second time. Saturday was the first day. Saturday was the first day? Because yesterday they had a normal sports section. Yes, yeah, Sunday will I be I mean, normal. it was very thin. Yes. But they don't even have the sports section as a standalone section. This is in the back of the style section today. So you have in the post today your front page, your metro section, your style section, and at the top of the style section, there's a headline that says Olympic officials concede Tokyo games may need to be postponed. Sports is on C10 through C12. Style section is section C of the paper. Um, look, there's nothing to, to write about. I mean, NFL free agency is a big deal. And you get to the back of the style section, and there is a one, two, three-page sports section at the very back. IOC concedes postponing games is on the table, which was a news story from yesterday. The Canadian Olympic team, by the way, the Canadians have backed out of the Olympics altogether, but that was based on a start time of, of this summer. Um, I don't know when they would postpone them to... I mean, let's get real. Of course they're not going to happen as scheduled um, because if they did, there would be a lot of countries that wouldn't show up. You know, similar to, for different reasons, you know, 1980 in the Moscow games where the United States and other countries did not go because at that point um, the Russians had invaded Afghanistan and that was a big um, world uh, issue that many countries had problems with and Jimmy Carter made the decision during those 80 Olympic Games, which by the way was following the 80 Lake Placid Games, which produced the hockey, the U.S. hockey winner, the Miracle on Ice, um, that particular summer, um, there were no uh, Olympic Games for the U.S. in Moscow. But, I mean, the Tokyo Games aren't going to happen on time. And if they do postpone them, they're going to postpone them until the fall when we are definitely getting to the point where we are going to have just about every single sport participating in some of their biggest you know, games and most meaningful games all in the fall and winter. I was going to say September and October, if we're, we're past this, if we're through this, could be the greatest two-month stretch in the history of sports. Well, it's going to be really hard, though, to consume everything because everything's going to be on at the same time. But it'll be still wonderful. It'll be it, it'll, it'll be cha- chaotic, but chaotic, wonderful. But you're going to have to make big choices unless you have, you know, four TVs do, do in, you, your, in your room because you're going to have, like for me, as an example, let's just say that September and October, you have the beginning of the college football and NFL season, yes. which is always our favorite. Yes. Um, you also have, you know, two to three of the golf majors pushed back into those months because mm-hmm. they weren't played, including the Masters in October yep. and maybe the U.S. Open in September. You know, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, opposite football, 
you know, especially if Tiger's in the mix, right. you're going to have to make some tough choices. Um, you could have the Olympics going on, which I'm going to tell you right now, for me, would be back of the list. Even though I love the Summer Olympics. I love track and field. I love the basketball. You know, obviously... It's a, it's a great midday, midweek thing. Mi- women's gymnastics, along with women's figure skating in the Winter Olympics, are two of the most consumed sporting events every four years. And are they going to be going up Saturday night against Auburn, Georgia? Good luck with that. You know, imagine the the arguments in in some households. No, we're watching the gymnast or the women, the U.S. gym gymnastics teams uh, going tonight. Uh, yeah, no, we've got uh, we've got Bama and and LSU tonight. That usually takes place in in November. Yeah, I'm just I'm pulling um, up the the October Alabama schedule. Uh, <laughs> let's see here, Alabama. I just saw it here uh, a game against um, Georgia. Al- oh, yeah, Alabama, Georgia, September nineteenth. Yeah. Okay. That or uh, third round of the uh, of the U.S. Open, third round of the NBA playoffs. You know we're in the conference semifinals of the NBA playoffs. Oh, by the way, the NHL playoffs have just advanced to the second round, and the Caps uh, made it through their first round series with the Penguins in six games. And you've got the Olympics going on. What am I missing? Tennis majors. You know we're 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 now rolling Wimbledon out in September with the U.S. Open to follow in uh, in in October. I mean, you're going to have a lot. Of, oh, and, and what if the NCAA tournament just says, you know what? We're going to try to put together something for September. They won't. That, that won't happen. They won't. That won't happen. Um, anyway, um, the Post has a sports section in the back of the style section. Part of uh, the reason for that is that their sports writers have been assigned to do non-sports things. Uh, that makes sense to me. I didn't yeah. even know that, um, but th- that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, all right. Um, there are uh, a few things I want to get to today before I get to the main thing I want to get to today, and that is something that my radio station is doing and actually um, I think is pretty cool right now and makes for a really good diversion. Um, the radio station, the team980.com, I host 7 to 10 a.m. in the mornings. Most of you know that. You can listen on the team980.com, the team980 app. Um, I would also suggest that if you usually listen to my show in the car or any of our shows in the car and you're not in the car for the same reasons you usually are in the car and you've got Alexa or Google Home, just you know, tell Alexa to put on the Team 980. Um, and, uh, and you can listen to the shows at home that way if you don't have a radio. Most people... I don't think most people have a radio in their home anymore. That would be my guess. Do you not, have a radio in your home? Not a traditional radio. Yeah. Sometimes I'll listen to whatever on the computer or whatever. Right, of yes, course. Not, so you're going to stream radio. things on your computer, yes. but most people don't have... I, most people under the age of 40, I would guess, yes. do not have a radio um, in their home. Um, but anyway, uh, so we are doing... Um, we are doing the ultimate DC sports star bracket, okay? And I'll explain it more here coming up, and I'll lay out the bracket for you and tell you how you can participate. It's actually, I think, going to be really interesting. And and the group that put together the bracket, which I had nothing to do with, um, those of us who are on the air essentially decided not to be a part of the selection committee. Chris Johnson, our program director, CJ, and a couple of others put the bracket together. There is a lot of complaining about the bracket, that's for sure. Uh, So we will get to that um, here shortly. But I wanted to start with a couple of things 
um, that aren't as fun necessarily. First of all, what are you people doing that were down looking at the cherry blossoms? Have you heard about coronavirus? Have you heard about social distancing? Have you heard about gatherings of more than 10 people? Look, our cherry blossoms in this city are beautiful this time of year. They are beautiful to look at. And I will tell you, when the kids were younger, that was always a great you know, what are we going to do on Saturday morning? We got to, we got to be active. We got to be busy. Let's do something fun. And we would drive down and we would rock, walk around the tidal basin. And it really is, it's beautiful. It really is very, very pretty. Um, we are going through something as a country here, as a world that is, requires all of us to participate in, in a hopeful, you know, pleasant outcome. And the Tidal Basin was packed with people after Muriel Bowser, our very capable mayor, I believe. And by the way, you know, unlike our president, she's a terrific communicator. Um, It's the way I feel. I think she does a really good job and has done a really good job during this crisis in communicating. Um, But basically, she had implored people not to, you know, go down there. And now she's got to order the Metropolitan Police Department and the D.C. National Guard to enforce, basically, a restricted access zone around the Tidal Basin to prevent the spread of COVID-19, the coronavirus. I mean, did you see some of the videos and the pictures, how crowded it was down there? I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's one thing last week to laugh at all the spring breakers down in Florida. They're all, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old and, you know, self-absorbed to a certain degree and clueless to a certain degree. And oh, by the way, not feeling very vulnerable, which by the way, I'm sure I felt like at 20, 21, 22 years old as well. I would have probably been on spring break. All right. Uh, so there. But this was th- these were grown ass adults, you know, by the hundreds and thousands at the Tidal Basin. Like it was a normal cherry blossom spring March day. Um, my God. I mean, seriously, how about just staying in your car and go down there and drive around them and stay in your car? You can see them. And look, there are neighborhoods. I'm not going to mention the neighborhoods because. They are, um, I'm sure, n- not wanting a rush of of incremental, you know, visitors. But there are a couple of neighborhoods in this city that have beautiful cherry blossoms as well, where you can drive around and see them. You know, um, you can watch them on YouTube. All right, there's lots of cherry blossom stuff on YouTube, but you can't gather, you know, in hordes walking around the tidal basin for crying out loud. That blew me away. Um, as did the president's press conference yesterday, which was like, I look, a lot of you don't want me talking about this stuff, but I'm sorry. It's my show. I'll talk about whatever I want. And, and again, it's no reflection of my political beliefs. Most of you, it's very funny when you tweet me after some of these rants, you're like, you know, Jesus Christ, I had no idea you were such a hardline conservative. Jesus Christ. I had no idea you were such a bleeding heart liberal. Well, I mean, I'm not either. Um, I'm sort of just a pragmatist, centrist, um, fiscally probably more conservative and and socially probably more uh, progressive. That's probably what I am. Uh, I, I look at every issue and just come up with what I think the answer should be, regardless of political affiliation. It's the way I've always been. But besides that, our president 
is not a good communicator, and he's terrible in this crisis, period. Great front runner, I'm sure, for a lot of you. You know, no issues, economy booming, people employed. You know, he can continue with basically what have been campaign, you know, ongoing campaign press conferences over and over again. You know, and slapping himself on the back over and over again. We're in a crisis right now. I've mentioned this a couple of times. Tommy and I talked about it the other day. If you've ever read anything about leadership, um, there's no worse combination of a, of, a, of a crisis leader than narcissism and limited intellectually. And the combination of both are deadly. They're, they're very, very difficult. So uh, I think even his ardent supporters would certainly agree watching these last two what they call briefings, Aaron, which have turned into 90-minute to two-hour, you know, um, basically, let me tell you how great I am, uh, press conferences. It's remarkable to me. I mean, there are a lot of things about the last three years that I think I personally think have been very good, and there are a lot of things that I have not agreed with. He is a terrible communicator and terrible as a leader in, in, in the crisis, in a crisis. The, the, the lack of self-awareness is startling to me. And again, I've got, <clears throat> I've got friends that are ardent Trump supporters. And by the way, I respect their opinion very much. I have friends who are ardent anti-Trumpers, and I respect and listen to their opinion. But almost everybody agrees here during this crisis that this is not what you would refer to in the trade as great leadership, um, especially as a communicator. Now, what we don't know is what's going on in these task force meetings. I watched this interview with Fauci last night. He was on Mark Levin on Fox. And say whatever you want about Mark Levin. I'm not going to weigh in. It's you know He's very, very extreme right. Um, and to me, the extremes on both sides are, are, are uncomfortable to watch. Um, but that, that said, um, it was a very interesting interview with Fauci who, you know, you got to know a little bit personally and you got to know about him going through this crisis with the president and everybody else. And the net of it is, is, is this. Fauci says these task force meetings have been first rate professional and that he's gotten no pushback from the president on any of the science. Now, we've seen how the press conferences sort of roll out <laughs> with him either conflicting um, or contradicting the science and the doctors or being hopeful and wishful against what is maybe more probable, all of that. Um, but Fauci, you know, and again, maybe he has no incentive as part of this thing to be overly critical, but he sort of went out of his way to say these task force meetings have been incredibly productive um, and, um, you know, have have resulted in a lot of things that are helping. I think the bottom line is, and, and what I got from Fauci last night, um, Aaron, is that there's still so much unknown about this. There's just still so much unknown. What they are really hopeful about is that Cutting off the border to China quickly, cutting off the border, you know, the entrance uh, from Europe and all of this social distancing mitigation plan um, can slow the spread, allow our health care to gear up properly, which it's struggling in New York and California and Washington among, you know, those those uh, three states um, and that it levels off faster, like it did in South Korea, <clears throat> you know, like it has basically in Russia, 
man, look at the results in Russia. I don't know if anybody's been following that. They've had, considering their population, they've had very few cases. Apparently, and I was reading something late last night, Putin and the Russians had a real plan for a pandemic. And a lot of that was closing off borders, you know, with China, which is right next to them, closing off borders with other countries that had problems, immediately instituting things like social distancing and quarantining and self-quarantining and self-isolation. And as of now, you know, compared to, you know, a lot of countries that are that are nearby, um, they are uh, having very few cases. I think it's going to be interesting when all this said and do- is said and done to sort of look at the you know, some of certainly a communist country in China and, you know, um, the the political environment in Russia, which is much different uh, than than ours um, to see what they did and how they plan for. And maybe there's going to be a lot to learn. Um, hopefully the world will come together and be able to learn from each other and help each other. You know, one of the things I heard last night, this is no time to for vengeance against countries like Iran who are struggling mightily. And I know that's a, a, a significant argument um, because people are having it on both sides. Personally, um, I always err on the side of of being human um, <clears throat> when, when places, it's a cheap price to pay for um, potential um, uh, help in other areas. Anyway, some of you would probably disagree with that, but I'm not going to get into that. How about Muriel Bowser, though, just basically saying, all right, I, I, I asked you not to go down to the Tidal Basin, and you didn't pay attention, so now we got to have our police and National Guard there. wanted to mention something else, too, before I got to this bracket, um, and, and before we get to the, the Quentin Dunbar stuff from over the weekend. Um, the uh, Did you see the Brady story? Did you read the Seth Wickersham story on ESPN.com over the weekend about Brady or not? Uh, I don't think I read that specific story. It's a good read. Um, I think Wickersham does a really good job with his lengthy sort of investigative pieces. Yes, he's very good at that. More often than not. The thing that came out of it um, that I'll spend two minutes talking about is that Brady asked for one thing from the Buccaneers after the deal was done, and that was the phone numbers of all of the wide receivers, that that was his first move to reach out to all of the wide receivers. But then came another part of the story and other stories is that he is not asked about Jersey number. He did not make his signing in Tampa Bay required a requirement that he get number 12, which is worn by a very good wide receiver, Chris Godwin. Yes. Who's been very productive um, and owns that jersey number 12. Now, Godwin basically told either Sports Illustrated or somebody else um, about the the jersey number that Brady is certainly somebody that if, if Brady asks, I will certainly give him. His career has warranted the... You know, I just hand it over to him. Or, or ask uh, uh, plus a probably plus yeah, a p- plus gift. money <laughs> yeah. plus money. I'm sure he'll he'll make Brady pay for it. Charitable donation. But he also said, lines, yeah. you know, if Brady isn't you know that interested in it, that he won't go out of his way because he'd like to keep it as well. You know, he's trying to create some leverage. Um, here's the actual quote from uh, Godwin. Um, this was on NFL.com. Quote: My phone's been blowing up nonstop on all my socials, texts, calls. Everybody wants to know the same thing. Um, when he was asked about, you know, Tom Brady 12 and number 12, 
He says, quote, for me, I'm very passionate about the number. It's something I've been wearing since I was in high school. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't want it, then I'll keep it. Close quote. He's essentially saying that if he asks, he'll consider it. But if he doesn't ask, he's keeping it. Like he's not offering it up necessarily. But he also says... Look, if he does want it, out of respect for everything he's accomplished and everything that he's done, I kind of have to defer to him. He's the goat. Yeah. You know? But he's going to want to get paid for that jersey. Oh, sure. He's going he Either he's going to get paid or he's going to ask for a sizable uh, contribution to his charity or, you know, probably both of those things. Yes, obviously he's not giving it up for free. But, yeah, I mean, if Brady, for whatever reason, doesn't want it, if he wants to leave that in New England which I don't see happening considering the TB12 brand, then yeah, no reason Godwin would give it up. I I, um, I have a feeling that Brady isn't going to make a big deal out of this. I, it, the TB12 thing is the only thing. Like That's his company. That's his brand. I understand that. I, I understand that. I, I, I do. But that brand, I don't think, is negatively impacted if he's wearing number 10 on Sundays. I really don't. I mean, everybody knows Tom Brady was 12 and what TB12 is, and everybody understands that. And if he's wearing number 10, which, by the way, would be his next choice, it's his college number, which a receiver named Scotty Miller, who was a sixth-round pick last year by the Buccaneers and played a little bit this year for the Bucs, that's his number right now. Like, if Brady says, you know, this dude, we don't even know if he's going to make the team. I'll take number 10, um, which was, the, again, his number at Michigan. I'm not going to be surprised if he doesn't push for this. You know, I don't know if Brady's superstitious or not. You know, he wore number 10 at Michigan. He was a sixth-round pick, obviously, in 2000, and he wore the jersey he was, you know, given when he got to, to, when he got to New England. He was just worried about making the team. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up wearing something other than uh, – if, if he wears something other than number 12. It's just not him, I don't think – to like, you know, pull rank over a really productive wide receiver who just said the number's important to him. It's not pulling rank though. It's it's about, you know, getting his number. And again, it's not like he's going to say he's hey, the new give guy though. Nothing. Yeah, he's and he's always been and always um positioned himself as I need to prove something. He's always in that mode of needing to prove something. It's it's something that's made him so great. Like it doesn't matter that he's won six Super Bowls. He's got a. He always feels like he's got something to prove. And those kinds of people are never satisfied with success, and they never believe in themselves of being above everybody else. I'm telling you, I think that's the way Brady is. I think it's part of what's made him so great. I'll make. What kind of odds would you give me that he that he wears number twelve? Do, doesn't wear number twelve. Give me give me a number right now. Plus two hundred. I mean, I would take that. I think that it's probably closer to plus three hundred. Yeah, probably. That, but that's what I'm going to give you. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I'll take. You know what? I'll take. Uh, actually, I, I want five to two. <laughs> <laughs> One plus two fifty. Um, I, I don't know. That uh, I, 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 I couldn't care less personally. Remember the. Um, you know, we were going through this on radio this morning. It was pretty funny because I couldn't remember the name of the player, and then everybody tweeted and texted me. Um, this could be um, 
this could be, you know, at this point, age, where I start to forget names. But anyway, I remembered the story of Clinton Portis when he got here in 2004 when he was traded for, and he wanted to wear number 26, mm-hmm. which was the number he was wearing in Denver. And and 26 was also, 20, 26 was his uh, University of Miami jersey number, right? I believe that's the case, I think, yeah. I think it was. And I was trying to come up with the name of the guy who was wearing number 26 who Clinton paid off for it. And it, everybody got it to me. It was Ifiani uh, Oalete. He was a safety for the team. And if you recall, Clinton, you know, ha- cut a deal to get number 26. And the deal terms that I have that was reported on is Portis was going to pay $38,000 in two installments to Oalete for number 26. And he never paid that second second installment. <laughs> so they went to court. They went to court over the thing, and um, it got ugly. You know, I've never – I don't think I've ever asked Clinton about it. Um, But, uh, you know, and I forget if it got settled before it went to court or it was going to go to court. To to be honest with you, I forget the details of that part. But uh, the next time we have Clinton on the show, uh, remind me to ask him about what he paid – um, if that's accurate and how, why it became, a, you know, a legal matter. And if it, if he really, I think one of the reasons Clinton, if I recall, Clinton didn't pay the second half is Olete wasn't on the team anymore. You know, he got cut or traded. I think he got cut, which by the way, shouldn't have mattered at all. I mean, the payment was, I can't imagine it was contingent on Olete making the team, you know, during the course of the payments being made. Right. But anyway, um, I think Brady's going to wear a different number. I would I would take the the the, the plus two fifty if you'll give me plus two fifty. Okay, I'll give you plus two fifty. Right, perfect, done. Um, all right, I wanted to get to something we were working on at nine eighty. Um, I actually think it's pretty cool. You know, we're looking for things to do here. I mean, we're everybody's looking for things to do here, and the station put together a bracket with playing games and everything and you can vote on all of these matchups round by round on the team 80 team 980's twitter account and go to the team980.com uh, as well but basically it is an all-time dc sports star bracket and it's you know not first of all no baltimore involved um and um uh, there's no baltimore involved and it's coaches players and team executives owners are not considered in this so and it's also not you know just born in dc it's of dc meaning you you were either born here and you had a tremendous high school impact um, or Olympic impact, or a professional career that didn't involve, you know, Washington impact, um, but you're really known for being from here and having significant success um, from here, um, or um, you played here and you weren't from here. So the bracket was selected by CJ, our program director, and I think he had a couple of other people working on it with him. And all of the show hosts basically got access to the bracket this morning. And Galdi and I, Al Galdi and I, basically did a selection show this morning on laying out the entire bracket. And there were a lot of um, a lot of arguments, you know, um, already on Twitter afterwards, which is part of the reason for putting this together, is it creates you 
know, interesting conversation. But I would urge all of you, especially, you know, you're looking for something else to to focus on other than the news every day. Um, a lot of people, by the way, I've noticed are putting out these brackets right now. I, one of have you followed the, the the person that put out the Office episode bracket? Of course, I think that was actually the Office who did that. The official oh, Office it, Twitter. Oh, it, it is the. I, I didn't realize that. Yes, because to be honest with you, I don't know that it was really well done. I, I if I it, yeah, I believe unless there's another one going around, I believe the first one was from the the Office NBC Twitter account. Oh, okay. Because you showed this to me on Friday. Aaron and I are huge fans. Tommy is too of the office, the American version. I'm also a huge fan of the BBC version. I think the BBC version's two seasons are the funniest two seasons of a sitcom of all time, but we love the American version. We've referred to it many times on the show before. Um, and so you're saying that NBC put out an all time office episode bracket they didn't seed them though. Like there was no seeding. No. How many how many episodes were in here? Hold on. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Looks like 14, 32. 16, 30. It's a 32 episode bracket. Yes. So it wasn't even 64 or 68. But um oh wow, they're already to the final four. Did you see this? I haven't been keeping track of it now. They're already to the final. You and I both thought that the dinner party you thought this, right? I think the dinner party's the single greatest sitcom yes. episode I think I've ever watched. So I was predicting that the dinner party Oh, they're to would the win. finals. They're not even to the finals. Oh, you're right. They're to the finals. I just yes. I just pulled up the update. Wow. So they've had people voting to advance. And the biggest crime for me was that um, the deposition was going to have to open up against Niagara, which was, you know, Jim and Pam's wedding. Um, it was a two-episode thing because the deposition to me might be my second favorite episode of all time, which was the episode prior to the dinner party episode, right? I'm pretty sure it was one. If it wasn't just prior, it was just after According, the dinner party. Wait a second. This doesn't make sense. What? According to this... They have Dinner Party as Season 4, Episode 9, and Deposition as Season 4, Episode 12. That can't be true. That's not true. It's not true. So they, they messed that up. Yeah, th- yes. That that seems like... I, I thought the Deposition's one episode before or one episode after. I don't know if it's right before or right after, but it's, it's similar. Let me see here. Whatever. Here, they, yeah. they, they've gotten... The final four, Dinner Party came out of one region. It is. It is. You're right. It's uh, So they, they have both of them wrong. It's Season 4, Episode... No, they do have the deposition right. The deposition is season four, episode 12. Dinner Party is season four, episode 13. Yeah, I thought it was right before. So Dinner Party is in the final four. They're up against The Injury, which is a, a great episode where, of course, um, The Injury is when uh, Dwight ends up crashing his car um, into the pole in the parking lot and ends up being concussed. Um uh, but the injury really it takes it starts with Michael basically putting his fo- foot into a George Foreman gr- grill and burning it. One of and, my favorite things ever is the description of how it happened. Oh, how yeah. it's just so matter of fact. I like breakfast yeah. in the morning. Yeah, yeah, I lay out some bacon before I go to bed, and then I wake up quickly and I start the bacon cooking, and then I fall back asleep and I wake up to the smell of bacon. Sue me, he says. You know, yes. I like bacon. So Sue good. me. Um, you know, it's a healthy start to the day. Whatever it was. Um, um, and so that's the, the injuries up against the dinner party in one semifinal and the Dundies, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the first episode of season two. Um, yes. Right? Yes. 
uh, is up against Stress Relief, which I would have never thought would have made it to the it's final. It's a good four. episode. It's it, a good double episode. It's a. I'm trying to see what it had. It beat Diversity Day. Come yeah, on. Yeah, di- I had Diversity Day out of that region. I have no. You know what? God, here was a tough first round matchup. Branch Wars against the finale. I think Branch Wars is one of the funniest episodes I, of all time. I don't like Branch oh Wars. Oh my that God. Much. Branch Wars is hysterical from the time that they kidnap Jim when Dwight and Michael kidnap Jim. Uh, and they're going to get revenge in Utica, where um, where you've got Karen. That scene with Karen and the three of them dressed up like you know workmen yes. is is really very funny. Um, I so the st- stress relief. That's a good episode. Don't get me wrong. Stress relief is a good episode. Is up against the Dundies, and stress relief is into the final against dinner party. So we were right with one uh, final yes. participant. I would have never guessed I, stress or stress relief at a, casino night would have been better. The surplus would have been better. I'm looking at the diversity the, day. How did it beat diversity? It day? It shouldn't have beaten diversity. Diver- day. I had diversity day coming out of that region. Uh, Scott's tots went head to head with diversity day in the in the first. I round. mean that's just like. Scott's Tots unwatchable. <laughs> Some of you are like, when are you going to get to the thing you're going to get to? I'm going to in a minute. We got time. And you can always, you know, fast forward ahead if you're not an Office fan. If you're not an Office fan, seriously, do yourself a favor, okay, during these days where you're, you know, you got nothing to do. Just pull it up on Netflix. Start with the pilot and go right through. Get at least through season seven. <laughs> Seasons eight and nine after Steve Carell leaves the show are, you know, okay, they're not great, um, but if you want to laugh and cringe, and by the way, just for whatever reason, find a comfort sitcom. The Office is the comfort sitcom of all time. Uh, Dinner Party is going to win this. Dinner Party was always going to that. That's the one flaw with this is we all know who's going to win beforehand. But yeah, I, I have a problem with stress relief getting to the final four. The others, I mean, I wouldn't have put the injury, but I would have had them into the Elite Eight. And then the Dundies and Dinner Party were my picks for the Final Four. Well, the Dundies uh, did go head-to-head with Casino Night for the right to get to Final Four. I love Casino Night, but uh, the Dundies is hilarious. Casino Night is so good. Starting with Michael ending up having two dates, you know, and, and then, you know, obviously the Jim and Pam ending. That was the end of Season 2 which I was not watching this show while it was on TV live. I was very, I was incredibly snobbish when it came to the original Office and BBC version, and I, I did not give the American version at the beginning a chance. I ultimately gave it a chance, and I love it. I love it. And some of you, real quickly, Aaron, when we've mentioned the dinner party episode before, I've had people say to me, I had a friend, I remember him calling me, he said, you had to, he said, you told me to watch The Dinner Party, that it was the greatest sitcom episode of all time. He goes, I, I get it. It's cringeworthy, the whole thing. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you got to build up to The yeah, you Dinner Party. You've you got to know the characters. Right. Yeah, you've got to understand the, the – con- you've got to yes, have context. 100%. For it. But with context, the, the, I think the greatest what, – what is a sitcom? 22 minutes uh, typically on average? Yes. I think the greatest 22 minutes of sitcom comedy of all time is the dinner party episode of the American version of The Office. Um, I didn't vote on any of these, did you? I didn't. W- no. Were you, I don't. I might have voted for some of the early ones if I saw it, but I hadn't really looked closely at it since they unveiled the bracket. 
And right now, with 22 hours left, dinner party versus stress relief in the final, the dinner party's got a, an 11 percentage point lead. It's going to win. I, I'm clearly. surprised it's only like it's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. <laughs> it is so good, and nobody was better than Jan in that in that episode. <clears throat> she was she was the underrated comedic star because it was so subtle of that show. I always felt that way. Um, not to mention, she was a smoke show. Uh, all right. Um, uh, but by the way, really quick about stress relief. I, I had forgotten for a moment. That was when Dwight did the CPR dummy thing, which might have been. That was the, funny. I was going to say, that might have been the single funniest scene in the office. No doubt. Um, all right. Let's get to this other thing. Uh, all right. So this ultimate DC sports star bracket. Again, um, it was... Coaches, players, team executives, no owners, okay? Just D.C., and it was a situation where, you know, it was their production here, whether they were born here and had production as a high schooler or as a former, you know, or later Olympian, or if they came here and as a professional or as a college player, all right, had great success, there's a lot of controversy in this thing. Um, the the it was a 68 person bracket with four actual first four games. All right, eight people involved in four uh, first round games to get into the main field, and the voting for that's going on right now. And I'll update you on that here momentarily. There were four regions: the PG County region, the Montgomery County region, the Fairfax County region, and the Arlington County region. And they had nothing to do with like where the people were from or played or anything else. It's just like the East Regional in the basketball tournament can have West Coast teams. There's no, you know, there's no connection there. And then the final four is going to be played in DC. The semifinals at RFK Stadium and the final, the championship game, as a nod to Abe Poland for what he did for this city. Um, by building the arena down in Chinatown and really starting sort of a a, a renaissance um, of of DC as a city, and we've seen all of the incredible downtown areas that we now have that just we didn't have 25 years ago. Um, the championship game is going to be played at Capital One Arena. We're going to play this out by by the way over like a two week period. You know, um, ending concluding with the night of when the NCAA national championship game would have been. All right. Here are here's the bracket. You ready? The bracket goes like this. The play-in games are all 16s versus 16s. So these are eight 16 seeds. Howie Kendrick makes it into the field as a 16 seed. He's going to go head-to-head today with Ole Kolzig. Again, you can vote on that. Kolzig, of course, the goaltender for the Capitals during um, their first Stanley Cup final appearance when they got swept uh, by the uh, Red Wings in the late 90s. Christy Tolliver, a national champion with the Maryland Terrapins and a two-time WNBA champion with the Mystics. Tolliver is a 16 seed, and she goes head-to-head with already somebody who's become very controversial in this conversation, Kevin Durant. Because you either say, well, Durant was from here and had a great NBA career, but 
His only portion of his career was here as a high school star, and he's not considered the greatest high school player in the history of this city. Elgin Baylor is, and he gets seeded very high. I'll mention him in a moment. So it's Tolliver against Durant. The other 16-seed matchups, Jaime Moreno, who, according to D.C. United enthusiasts, is the greatest player in D.C. United history. And he's going to go head-to-head with Ali Krieger, who is from here. Okay, Mia Hamm, by the way, is not from here. A lot of people asked about that. Um, She has some connection to here. I forget what it is. Uh, I looked it up earlier and I forget already. But Allie Krieger went to high school here. Uh, She became obviously a World Cup star for the women's national team. And then the last of the 16 seed matchups, Boomer Esiason, arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of Maryland football and one of the greatest football players in Maryland history against Charlie Casserly who as a general manager comes in is barely making the field as a 16 seed. Where's Bobby Bethard seated? That'll be interesting. So then we get to the actual bracket, okay? I guessed before I saw this bracket that the one seeds would come from the following list of people. Joe Gibbs, Alex Ovechkin, uh, Walter Johnson, Sammy Baugh, Daryl Green, and John Riggins. Okay, and I thought Sonny is an outside shot as a one seed. Those were really the people from my standpoint who were in the running for a one seed. I thought that Max Scherzer's career here wasn't enough yet to be a one. I thought he would probably be a two or a three. But that was my guess of the list of where the four seeds would come from. So the four seeds ended up being Joe Gibbs in one region, uh, Walter Johnson, considered by many to be the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, and by the way, also a World Series winner in 1924. Alex Ovechkin and then Daryl Green. Those were the four one seeds. So, you know, you could take exception with Sammy Baugh not being in there or Rigo or Sonny, you know, potentially, or James Arthur Monk. I mean, but I think you can't really debate any one of those four. They're totally they worthy of being to be one seed. Yes. Um, so then we go into the two seeds, which I found interesting. Sugar Ray Leonard was a two seed. Okay, I'm glad Sugar Ray Leonard was not only included in this and in that nobody forgot about him, but that he was very highly seeded. Now, a two seed may be a bit too high. Um, But Sugar Ray Leonard's one of the greatest boxers in the history of boxing, and he grew up in Palmer Park, uh, Maryland, was an Olympian, an Olympic champion, and really is a huge source of pride for this area. I was going to say, he represents D.C. There's no No question about it. There's some people who go away and don't represent D.C. He's one of the guys who is D.C. And I don't, again, if you want to debate he's seated too high, that's fine. He definitely is no worse than a three or four seed in this bracket. Sammy Baugh's a two seed. Max Scherzer was a two seed, and Rigo was the other one. The three seeds, I'll give you the top 16, and then we'll go through you know sort of the matchups. The three seeds um, were Art Monk, uh, Elgin Baylor, and for those of you too young, just understand this. Elgin Baylor is the greatest high school basketball player in one of the greatest high school areas, D.C., of all time. You only have to ask the people that were there and watched him as a high school basketball player, like John Thompson, who has said to me many times, said said it many times on his own radio show, when it comes to the greatest high school basketball players in the history of city of this city, it's Elgin Baylor one, and then you count five spots until you get to number two. It's that decisive. There is no doubt 
that Elgin Baylor is the greatest high school basketball player. Now, if you want to argue he's a high school basketball player, he shouldn't be a three-seed, have at it. He should be up there, though. Elvin Hayes is a three-seed. I was very happy to see this, and I was very actually pleased that he was at least seated ahead of Wes Unseld, who's great and should be on the next line, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, But Elvin Hayes is one of the top three or four power forwards of all time and led the Bullets to its only championship and went to three NBA finals in a six-year period. And the other three seed is Sonny Jurgensen. Now, you can argue that Sonny should be a two seed, maybe in front of Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, uh, maybe in front of Max Scherzer. But Max Scherzer won a World Series, people. So we're Steven Strasburg. We'll get to that in a moment. Sonny being seeded third was a little bit, I don't know, questionable maybe. The four seeds, Patrick Ewing, okay, certainly Patrick was going to be high up on this list. I don't think anybody's going to have a problem. Greatest player in Georgetown history and one of the great college basketball players of all time. Gary Williams is a four seed. So is John Thompson. So this committee was very, very, you know, uh, diplomatic there. Now you could say that Thompson's impact on the college game was much more significant than Gary's. But in terms of the production, they both won national championships at powerhouse programs in this area, at the two powerhouse programs in this area. The other four seed is Wes Unseld. All right? So that's your top 16 seeds. You can go vote Team 980 on Twitter, the team980.com, and the first four matchups, you know, the it's in 60 through 68, the, the last seeds into the field are vying to get into the main bracket, and you're able to vote on those right now. Um, here's the rest of the field. I'm going to run through it quickly, all right? Uh, Gibbs is going to play one of the play-in uh, you know, uh, winners. Then Rod Langway, great capital. Some will say the, the second greatest cap in history is an eight seed. He goes against the ninth, seed, the ninth seeded Ryan Zimmerman. Zimmerman, you know, certainly the face of the franchise, now a world champion. Zimmerman, a nine seed. In this same region, which, by the way, was the PG County region. Sorry, Loudoun County and Frederick County, you got left out of this, and any other counties that I'm forgetting. Um, Len Bias was a five seed. I think you could argue that Len should have been, Leonard should have been a, a higher than a five seed. You know, I mean, but Patrick Ewing won a national championship. Len Bias didn't. He's going head-to-head with Chris Hamburger in a 5-12 matchup. All right? The winner of that faces Patrick Ewing against Lefty Drizel, who's a 13 seed. Um, so that is, you know, Lefty, look, Lefty didn't get to a Final Four. He didn't win a national championship. Um, but Lefty's one of the most impactful figures in the sport of basketball in this city's history. College basketball meant nothing to everybody around here. It was all about high school basketball in the late 60s. Lefty arrived, um, claimed that Maryland would become the UCLA of the East, and you know turned Maryland into a powerhouse. They did not get to a Final Four. There were different rules back then in terms of the number of teams that could make the tournament. He did get Maryland to two Elite Eights and had that team you know ranked very high throughout his career. He... John Thompson's said it many times. Without Lefty, there would have been no John Thompson and no Georgetown. He made it possible for people to start taking college basketball seriously. In that same region, Anthony Rendon is a six seed against George Allen, an 11 seed. Art Monk, a three seed against Peter Bondra, a 14 seed. 
Russ Grimm Hall of Famer is a seven seed against Randy White. I'm glad the committee did not forget about the greatest player in Maryland football history. Randy White was not only a first-team All-American and an Outland Trophy winner and the number one pick in the draft and a future Super Bowl MVP. Randy White was the best player in college football in 1974. All right, Randy White, again, Maryland football, you, you know, it's a basketball school. Randy White was the best player in college football in 1974. Sugar Ray Leonard, two seed against Bobby Dandridge, who made it in as the 15 seed. I'm glad to see Bobby D made it into the field. Dan, without Dandridge, the Bullets would not have won the one title uh, that they won. So the one thing that jumps out to me about this region is the the Nationals players. Ryan Zimmerman at nine and Anthony Rendon at six is really interesting. So you'd, to me. you'd have Z- Zimmerman seated higher. I think I'd have him seated a little higher. At at worst, I'd have them, you know, a six and a seven, something like that. I get it that if you want to say that the best season that Anthony Rendon had was the was better than the best season, much Ryan, better, right? Here's the thing. I mean, he had two seasons where he could have been MVP. I mean, Ryan Zimmerman in 2009 and 2010 was excellent. If you want to go by war, depending on what uh, site you use, Ryan Zimmerman's 2009 season was actually better than any season Anthony Rendon had, largely because of how good he was in the field. So at worst, I think it's close. And I probably, just because of the career, the longevity, and what he meant to the city, I'd have Ryan Zimmerman on top. Um. I'll get, when when the brackets complete, remind me to go back to Langway for a second. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. I actually, you know, when I saw it, didn't really think about that. I just thought of Anthony Rendon was a, 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 a close to an MVP in a World Series season, and by the way, came up with the biggest clutch hits, as did Juan Soto. Yes, you know, and and by the way, Howie Kendrick, who made the play-in game. Now, I'm going to be very interested, and I know what the outcome of this is, but I'm trying to build the suspense for you guys as I'm laying it out for the first time, if Juan Soto's in this field. Now, I don't, I mean, it's one season, really, or one and a half season, so he might not be, but Kendrick's really just a postseason, you right. know? But had, you know, the, 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 the homer that basically kept him alive against the Dodgers, the Grand Slam, uh, in extra innings. Um, all right, so that's the first region, which is dubbed the PG County region. Again, no relationship to the players that are in it. It's not like they played there or they're from there. It's just the name of the, the, the region. The next region is the MoCo region, or the Montgomery County region. Walter Johnson's the one seed. He plays the play one of the play-in winners, and I forget which play-in winners get seeded where, but I'm going to assume that all of the number we're not going to have a 16 over a one more likely than not um Braden Holtby then is an eight gets matched up against Bryce Harper a nine why I bring up why I ask you to bring up uh, remind me about Rod Langway is Rod Langway's a greater all-time capital than Braden Holtby he is Braden Holtby's not a hall of famer is he no and Rod Langway was correct he is, right? He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's in the Hall of yeah. Famer. Yeah, so I, I, I'm wondering, you know, if especially the diehard Cap fans are going to say, look, I mean, Holtby was the goaltender on the Stanley Cup winning team. Rod Langway is one of the all-time greatest at his position. Um, but anyway, I continue with that. 
Here was something that I found very interesting because when we set, you know, it was like a week ago where CJ was starting to put this together. And I wondered whether or not Bryce Harper would be in this field. And if he were in this field, where he'd be seated. Look, he's an MVP. Um, and he's a multi-time you know, postseason performer. Bryce Harper is the nine seed up against Braden Holtby in a first-round matchup with the right to take on, more likely than not, Walter Johnson in a second-round contest. You know, Harper is a nine. Um, I think that, that sort of makes sense to me with Zimmerman being, you know, at, at a nine and Rendon at a six. I know you have a problem with that. Um Katie Ledecky's the five seed in this region. That's a fascinating one. Well, I mean, she's one of the great Olympic well, that's swimmers of all time. Oh, you think you, she should be seated higher? I, I think that this is going to be one that she could go the like she could legitimately go the distance, or should, because she's a swimmer, she could be out like the first two rounds. So her first round opponent is the uh, number twelve seed. Um, one of the greatest players in the history of baseball from the Negro Leagues, you know, Josh Gibson, who played, if he had played Major League Baseball, um, would have been uh, one of the all-time. But he was a Homestead Gray D.C., all right, um, and was, you know, one of the all-time great baseball players from that era. He comes in as the 12th seed there. Uh, up against um, up against Katie Ledecky. Then the four seed is Gary Williams, and he's up against the 13 seed, John Wall. You know, John Wall, like I was thinking about the Bullets and the Wizards, okay, th- th- their history. And here was my top five. One's, El- and by the way, this is not, n- no Baltimore here. So no Earl Monroe, you know, none of the other great Baltimore Bullets. This is all D.C. Number one, um, all time for me is Elvin Hayes. Number two is Wes Unseld. Number three is Bobby D. All right. And all three of them are in, but Wall's a higher seed than Dandridge. I'm not going to make a big stink out of that. Number four is John Wall. Yeah. John Wall in his career here in Washington is, you know, basically a top five all time bullet wizard. And you know who number five was for me? Gilbert Arenas. And there's going to be a lot of people to say, what are you crazy? It's Phil Schneer. Or it's, you know, but that's that was my top five. We'll see whether or not Arenas is in there. But we've already had, El, we, we, I mentioned Alvin Hayes is a three seed and Wes Unseld is a four seed. And you've already heard Bobby Dandrichin is a 15 seed. So Walls now is a 13 seed. We'll see if Gil made the field. Um, Wall gets matched up against Gary Williams in a 4-13 matchup. Then the bottom of the Montgomery County bracket, six-seed Sean Taylor. And you know, depending on the voter in this, you know, the age of the voter, etc. You know, I think, by the way, he's seated appropriately. If he had been seated lower, I wouldn't have had an issue with that. He d- he's certainly in the field, okay, of 68. But, you know, it was a very short career. Um, and really, it was the last year of his career, last two years of his career, that were dominant. He was becoming great. He's matched up against number 11, John Lucas, who absolutely deserves to be in this list. I can tell you right now, John Lucas, for me, is the third greatest Maryland basketball player of all time, behind number one, Len Bias, and number two, Juan Dixon. I'm assuming we're going to see Juan Dixon in this field. Um Then you get the three seed in the Montgomery County region. We've already mentioned Elgin Baylor against Allen Iverson. I'm sorry, but Allen Iverson is a 14 seed. He should be seated higher. 
I, I agree with that. He didn't win a championship, but Allen Iverson's one of the greatest players in the history of college basketball in this area. By the way, um, you know, it, it's not that Virginia Beach and where he grew up is a big part of it, but Allen Iverson was a legend on on in the summer league as he was heading into Georgetown. Right. As Steve Francis was. I wonder if Steve Francis made this list. Um, the seven seeds, Gary Clark against Dominic Dawes, Silver Spring-based Dominic Dawes, who was a gold medal gymnast you know, in, in the Olympics. If, if this was you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, she'd be seated way higher. Um, she how was many, a presence how many, how many gold medals did she win? I mean, look, she's a, she was obviously a, a major star um, in the Olympics in which she, you know, Atlanta, Barcelona... Um, she won one gold. Atlanta, in right? Atlanta. She won. A, she won one gold in Atlanta. That was it. She just she one won gold. She won bronze medals in '92 and 2000 as well. Okay. Um, so Dominic Dawes comes in, but, she, but as you said, she was a star. Yeah, star. Um, and then the two seed. How about this? Is a juicy first round matchup. The committee got really uh, had some fun with this. Two seeded John, second seeded John Riggins against the 15 seed Clinton Portis. The second all-time leading Redskins rusher makes the field, but as a 15 seed. And one of the things you're going to notice about this is that some of the players in Redskins' recent history that didn't win anything are excluded. And you know what? I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Clinton Portis should be in the field. I think he should be seated a little bit higher. It's almost like they knocked him down a couple of seeds so we could see a Riggins-Portis first-round matchup. All right, go ahead. Nitpick this particular region. Um, I'm curious as to, again, part of it is because he went to Philadelphia. If Anthony Rendon is a six, why is Bryce Harper? Now, you can say the World Series is part of it, which is valid, but Bryce Harper did get the MVP. That jumps out to me. Uh, I think Allen Iverson is seated too low. Me too. That's the one there. I think Iverson's seated yeah. too low. That that's the one thing that jumps out there to me. That Iverson's you know could easily have been a top you know eight seed somewhere. And I think that. And again, just based on how this is doing, this is a voting. This is a public vote. I'm worried for Gary in the first round. <laughs> yeah, against John Wall. Yeah. Here's the other thing about um, Iverson. So, in order, right? I'm not a Georgetown basketball guy, but I know college basketball. Patrick's number one. We've already seen him seated at number four. Iverson, I think you can easily debate, is the second greatest player in Georgetown basketball history. And he's a 14. So, where's Matumbo? Where's Sleepy Floyd? Are they going to be on this list? I mean, if Iverson seated 14th, maybe not. By the way, would you be surprised if Iverson beats Baylor in the first round? No. In fact, I would guess that he'd beat Elgin yeah. Baylor in the first round because most you're going to have to need you're going to need a very older person right. to understand. Young people are not going to understand. Look, I'm not saying that Elgin Baylor doesn't deserve to be seated there. He's the greatest high school basketball player of right. all time in this area. And by the way, went on to have a dominant Hall of Fame NBA career. Um but yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if that's a 14-3 upset pick. Taylor Iverson in the second round. Sean Taylor against I, Allen Iverson in a second round matchup. Juicy. But n- not juicier than Rigo against Portis in the first round. No. Um all right. Now we go to the other side of the bracket in the Fairfax County region. Ovechkin's the one seed, he plays the play-in winner. Then it's Bobby Mitchell as an 8 seed. 
course he was going to be in this field, against Morgan Wooten, who is a nine seed, now the late Morgan Wooten. Morgan Wooten, the most successful high school basketball coach in history, nationally. Not in this area, nationally. Um, Morgan Wooten, I have no problem with him being seated there. Steven Strasburg is the five seed. We've already mentioned that Scherzer is a two seed. Is there that much of a difference between Strasburg and Scherzer? I think yes, there is. Just Strasburg's the best clutch performer in the in this team's history now. I recent history, but you're talking about Scherzer's Cy Youngs. You're talking about him being the most dominant pitcher of this decade, really. Uh, I think that right now, I think right now, Max Scherzer is a surefire Hall of Fame. He would go in as a national, and Strasburg. Strasburg is getting very close to being he, a surefire Hall. I of mean, famer. if he, I'm saying if his career ended now, he would not be a Hall of Famer. Doug Williams is the 12 seed. Now, before you start complaining that Doug isn't seeded high enough, remember Doug didn't have a lot of productive years here. You know, Doug's story is really more than anything, you know, a 19 January of 1988 playoff story with one of the great Super Bowl performances of all time. I think we all understand that. But his years in Washington, 86, 87, 88, and 89, you know, first of all, just so everybody understands this about Doug Williams, you know, he only started 14 games in four Redskin seasons. Okay, that's it. Came off the bench in a lot of games. I understand that. He only started 14 games. His overall record in Washington, um, regular season uh, wise, um, um, it looks like his overall record, even though the Redskins had good teams, was a losing overall record. Doug Williams started 14 games in Washington and was 5 and 9 as a starter. Now, in the postseason, Doug Williams was 3 and 0. All right. Uh, beat Chicago on the road, beat Minnesota in the championship game, and beat Denver in the Super Bowl. Um, but I don't have a problem with Doug. I think Doug deserves to be in the field, don't get me wrong. But I don't have a problem with Doug being super high-seeded. Um, the career doesn't match come anywhere near the game. Uh, the four seed in the Fairfax County region's Wes Unseld against Dave Martinez. So Dave Martinez nearly fired last May, and he wins the World Series, and he comes in as a 13 seed. Uh, the bottom half of that bracket, the six seed is Charlie Taylor. Look, you could argue that he should be seeded higher. You know, Charlie Taylor and Art Monk are the two best receivers in Redskins history, with probably Gary Clark third, um, right? Bobby Mitchell third. Uh Charlie Taylor is a, was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and when he left the game, was the all-time leading NFL wide receiver. So was Art Monk. I mean, I don't have the problem with Art Monk being slightly higher seeded, but he's three seeds below Monk. Charlie Taylor is a six against Brian Mitchell, an 11 seed. <laughs> B. Mitch should be in the field, no doubt. He should no be doubt. in the field. He's going to be a fascinating watch yeah. because of, obviously, it being Yeah, he's still got presence. He's sure. still got presence. Um, Sonny Jurgensen's a three seed. People will probably sit, think that Sonny should have been at least a two seed. He goes head-to-head with Barry Trotz, the 14th seed, the Stanley Cup champion coach. Dexter Manley is a seven seed against the 10th seeded Mike Gartner. Um, comes in uh, an all-time cap great. Sammy Baugh's the two seed, and here we go. Phil Chenier comes in as a 15 seed. I'm going to be very surprised if Gilbert Arenas isn't the 15. We already know what the 16s are. Because unless Gil, well, 
I guess Gil could still be higher seated than Phil in the next bracket. So that bracket, I would just say the the thing that sticks out to me is I think that Steven Strasburg could have been seated a little bit higher. And maybe Charlie Taylor, the same thing. Other than that, yeah, it's hard for me to, I'm not going to sit here and really debate Mike Gartner that much. Um, Barry Trotz was, you know, Barry Trotz and Dave Martinez were championship coaches in the same way Doug Williams was a championship quarterback. You know, um, Barry Trotz got him to the playoffs and had him in contention. I would have, I probably would have put Dave Martinez and Barry Trotz on the same seat. I would have made them both 13s, but it is interesting because they both kind of had that uh, thing where if they hadn't won the World Series that, or, you know, Stanley Cup, they might have been fired and obviously Trotz ended up leaving, but obviously he was on his way out as well. All right, here's the final region. Well, re- before yeah, we go, go real ahead. quick, I- I'm calling it now. Uh, the, the Elite Eight, the, the regional final there, Alex Ovechkin versus Beamich. Um, Wouldn't surprise me if it's Alex Ovechkin, Dexter Manley. That's possible. Uh, that and, ball, man, and it depends on Sonny because you know Sonny's going to Sonny's going to win that matchup with Barry Trotz. Yes, and then he uh, then you're you're asking B. Mitch to knock off Sonny in the second round. I think he does. Okay, last uh, region, the Ar- Arlington County region. Okay, um, as we're going through this, it's a field of sixty-eight. It's the all-time DC sports stars. All right, it is coaches, players, and general managers. It is just D.C., um, and you're of here. It doesn't mean you had to be born here. It doesn't mean that you had to play your whole career here. You're of here. You're either you came here and you had a great career, or you're from here and you had some of your career here, but maybe because of the sport you went on to have fame um, in the Olympics or in an individual sport which took you all over the world, like Sugar Ray Leonard's as an example, um, who is a two-seed in the PG County region. The four regions are PG County, Montgomery County, Fairfax County, and now this last region, which will lay out Arlington County region. They advance to the Final Four D.C. region where the semifinal games are played at RFK, <laughs> semifinal matchups, and Capital One Arena in a nod to Abe Poland for what he did to D.C. Um, and in changing our city in so many ways, the final will be at Capital One Arena. All right, here we go. Final region. Daryl Green's the one. He'll play one of the play-in, uh, one of the first four winners. Joe Theismann is an eight seed against Juan Dixon, the nine seed. Dixon deserves to be here. He shouldn't be as highly seeded as Bias, who's a five seed. Um, and I don't have a problem really. I think, you know, he could have been a little bit higher. He's a champion. He's one of the great, you know, won the national player of the year, um, his senior year. Um, Theismann against Dixon. Then you get Frank Howard as the five seed. Really, other than Walter Johnson, and until this year, Frank Howard's the, the all time senator. You know, he was Mr. Senator. When, when they were here in the 60s and the early 70s before they moved to Texas, he goes head-to-head with Bobby Bethard, who's a 12 seed. Bobby Bethard is under-seeded. We had Casserly as a 16 seed. Bethard should be seeded higher. And then John Thompson Jr., uh, Big John, four seed against Mark Rippon, who really had a better career than Doug Williams here. Statistically, more years, more games started, etc. Uh, more playoff games played in. Uh, Mark Rippon, also a Super Bowl MVP, but he is seated below 
Doug Williams, who obviously had, um, you know, in the same way that John Thompson and Josh Gibson and Bobby Mitchell, you know, had significant um, impact uh, being the first African-American quarterback to start and win a Super Bowl. Start in the Super Bowl, and then he won it too. Rippin's the 13th seed. Bottom half of that bracket, Nicholas Backstrom is a 6th seed. So basically that means, based on, I think, my math here, that Backstrom's considered the second best capital of all time behind Ovechkin. Ahead of Langway. Um, he faces Mike Rizzo, the 11 seed, all right, the architect of the first World Series winner um, since 1924 in this town. Elvin Hayes is the third seed. You're not going to get an argument from me. I don't think many of you understand how great historically Elvin Hayes' career is viewed as. He is an all-time top three, top four power forward in the history of the NBA. Ken Houston as the 14 seed there. I think Ken Houston, who's considered one of the greatest safeties of all time. Now, he had a lot of his career in Houston and a little bit more than half of it here. I think he could have been seeded higher. Joe Jacoby is the seventh seed against Elena Deladon, who's the 10 seed. All right. Max Scherzer, the two seed. And I was wondering where we would see Brenda Freeze. She comes in as the 15 seed. So. There are people missing. Go ahead and give me your feelings on the last region, and then we can get into who's missing and perhaps a little bit more about some of the seedings. Uh, nothing too crazy. Disappointing as a Maryland fan to see Dixon run up against Theismann in the first round because yeah. he's not getting out of the first round there. I do think you can make a good case that Brenda Free should be higher, but again, understanding it is women's basketball, like I, I understand that. Um, Elena Deladon, I, I, maybe a little bit high, but you know, I, she's a worthy inclusion uh, for sure. But other overall, I think this was a pretty, as far as the seedings go, as far as who's included, pretty good for this region. I, I think actually overall, this is a hard thing to do. And I know, I know when CJ and the few that helped him sat down to try to figure this out, that at first he was like, I don't think we're going to be able to come up with 68. And I'm like, no, nah, you're going to be able to come up with 68. Um, there are, there's one glaring omission and it's a big mistake and I mentioned this on radio Richie Pettibone should have been in the field of 68 Richie Pettibone's one of the all-time great defensive coordinators was the architect of the Redskins defense for its three Super Bowl wins there are a lot of people that played for the Gibbs teams and the Pettibone teams that will tell you Richie was just as responsible for the three Lombardi trophies the Redskins have that is a massive massive whiff not having Richie Pettibone in the field of 68. In fact, I would have had him not only in the field of 68, I would have had him probably as a top 10 seed in a region. Okay, and then you get to, well, what about Joe Bugle? I don't feel the same way about Bugle that I do about Pettibone. Pettibone had one responsibility, the defense, and Gibbs gave him autonomy. He had total autonomy over running that defense. Joe Bugle could have been considered for the field. I'm not knocking that. I also think that Gilbert Arenas should have been in this field. It's, I'd say it's almost a joke that he's not. He was um, the biggest, I think you could make the case he was the biggest sports star in this city. From for, for, a few, for a couple of years? Well, for that decade, for the 2000s decade. I think that's the case. Ooh, for the 2000s, for the aughts, was yeah. Gilbert Arenas the biggest sports star in this town? Well, you didn't have somebody from the Nationals, okay, because you only had baseball for five years. Right. Um, Ovechkin o, was, was started in 08, yeah. right? 08. Yeah. Um, 
As far as the Redskins go, you know, you had the last vestiges of Daryl Green's career, which wouldn't count because those were the last few years. You had Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor may have been the biggest star of that of that because it was the could, it, the Redskins were still case. so much sure. more popular than than the Wizards. But yeah, I think Gil, Gilbert Arenas is a massive omission. <clears throat> I also think that Dick Mata should be in this field. He was the coach of the only NBA championship team this city's ever had, the 1978 Washington Bullets. And not only that, they went back to the championship and nearly defended it in 1979. Not only that, when Dick Mata was here, and I'd have to look up his record, okay, I mean, he was one of the best coaches in the NBA um, for all of his years here. I mean, they were always a contender you know, for the championship, thought to be a championship contender. He came here in the 76-77 season. They went 48-34, and and they lost in the conference semifinals, okay? 77-78, they won the title. 78-79, they lost in the finals, won the Eastern Conference Championship, lost in the finals. And then in its final year here, as they were an aging team and were an injured team, that was his only losing season. So I didn't really I actually thought he was here for, for more years. He replaced Casey Jones as the coach. Um, Dick Mata was here for four short years. That would be the argument against. But in those four short years, they were an NBA champion, an NBA championship runner-up, um, an NBA contender that got to the conference semifinals, and a non-playoff team. I personally think Dick Mata should have been considered for this. What's, what is, um, you know, I think interesting based on its absence, and maybe I'm forgetting somebody here, but in looking through the list... The Redskins on this list are basically all championship or just pre-championship good teams under George Allen Redskins. Sean Taylor is the one exception. and well, Sean Taylor and Clinton Portis are the exceptions. I don't think I'm missing as I'm going through the field. So that means that a lot of guys that, you know, some younger people in particular, whether it's London Fletcher, Chris Cooley, Santana Moss, Chris Samuels, they're going to wonder why those guys didn't make the list. I don't have a. I don't really have a problem. Out of all those guys, Clinton Portis is probably the one that deserves to make it, unless you think it's London Fletcher. Um, Arenas should be on here. Or to me, it's Richie Pettibone and Arenas are the two big misses. I think. I think Dick Mott is a big miss too. Bob Malloy. If you're going to have Morgan Wooten on this list, and, and Morgan deserves to be on the list before Bob Malloy, Bob Malloy, I think, is the second winningest high school football coach in history, and he coached every single year in this area. You know, good counsel, Sherwood, Springbrook, Whitman. Okay, Bob Malloy is one of the greatest high school football coaches of all time. And here's a question I don't know if it's been answered yet by the committee chairman, Chris Johnson. But David Robinson, if he's considered, if Navy's considered D.C., David Robinson should have been on this list. I think it's outside D.C. Okay. Uh, If it's not, David Robinson should have been on the list, clearly. For sure. Um, a lot of you, you know, some of you might say Maury Wills. He's from D.C., you know, all-time great baseball player, Danny Ferry. You know, I had a lot of pe- people tweet me about uh, Danny Ferry. And the one name I haven't mentioned, but he only holds seven franchise passing records, would be one Kirk Cousins didn't make the field of 68. And I don't have a problem with that. Um, that's tongue placed firmly. 
uh, in cheek on that. He does not rise to the level of these other players, um, even though he does hold most of the franchise passing records. But you can chalk that up to era, et cetera, et cetera. Um, overall, I, I think that, I actually think it's a pretty cool thing, and it'll be interesting. You can vote on these things. Right now you can vote on the first four matchups, Howie Kendrick against Ole Kolzig, Christy Tolliver against Kevin Durant, Jaime Moreno against Ali Krieger, and Boomer Esiason. And I'm glad Boomer's on this list. Boomer was a really good college quarterback, really good college quarterback against Charlie Casserly in the other 16 versus 16 games. And you just go to the Team 980's Twitter um, account and you, you'll be able to vote on that. You'll be able to see the whole bracket at the team980.com or on Twitter. There's a link to the entire bracket as well. I actually think this is going to provide a nice little diversion for the next couple of weeks. You know, so we'll uh, we'll update you on the results as we go through this and go ahead and vote uh, as well. Uh, anything else on this? No, unless you want to give predict your final four. Oh, we didn't do that, did we? Um, Predicting my final four. Gibbs, I think, is a lock to make the final four. I can't see anybody in his region. Because here's the thing about Gibbs. No matter how old you are, no matter who your favorite teams are, you recognize he is on the Mount Rushmore of D.C. sports figures, without question. Gibbs makes it to the final four. And that other... Uh, region, the Montgomery County region, where Walter Johnson's a one and Rigo is a two, and Elgin Baylor's a three, and Gary Williams is a four, and Katie Ledecky's a five. Bryce Harper's in there, in there, Allen Iverson's in there. I'm gonna say Riggins makes it to the final four. The Taylor factor, I think, is gonna be interesting in that one. Might be a little oh god, what a sweet 16 matchup that would be. Yeah. Sean Taylor and Rigo. Um so who are you picking? You got Gibbs, right? Uh, yeah. Out of that one, uh, absolutely. I'm trying to. Th- and then, out yeah, of this- no, no one can even really compare to him in that one. Um, and this one, ah, boy, I think I'm going to say Taylor's going to make it out of there. All right, I'll say Rigo. By the way, it's all based on voting, you know, right? You're voting. And, and that's what I'm. Um, then we go over to the other side of the bracket where Ovechkin's the one, Boz the two. Um, Jurgensen's the three, Unseld's the four, Strasburg's the five. Um, I think Alex Ovechkin's I, I think it a has lock. to be Ovi. Yeah, I think Alex Ovechkin will be in the final four. And then that bottom Arlington County region, uh, regional, Daryl Green is going to play the Theismann-Dixon winner in the second round. John Thompson against Rippon and then potentially a Bobby Bethard matchup. You've got Elvin Hayes, Ken Houston, some old-timers in this with Max Scherzer at the bottom. I actually see a Max Scherzer-Daryl Green regional final, a one versus a two. Um, Is it possible that Theismann trips up Green, though? No. Okay. I don't think so. I I, I was kind of going through seeing where Green could possibly get tripped up here, and that's the one that possibly jumps out to me. But, yeah, I I think it's one of the two, probably Green just because of the Redskins' popularity over the Nationals. I think it's going to be Daryl Green as well. So that would be Green against Ovechkin, Gibbs against Rigo for me, Gibbs against Sean Taylor for you, and I'll go a Gibbs-Ovechkin final. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And you know what? 
look, Walter Johnson and Sammy Ball are from a time where we can't really relate. Look, if it was up to me, like if it was just my votes, I would be voting Walter Johnson through. I I think, like I I think I've said it on this podcast before. I think the two best athletes in DC sports history are Walter Johnson and Alex Ovechkin. Um, but yeah, I, I, but, you know, but, but Gibbs is the greatest coach yes. in this town's history. Uh, and, I have Ovi and I, beating Gibbs, and I have Gibbs beating Ovi. <laughs> but that'd be a hell of a final. Yeah. Um, all right, what else do we have for today? Anything that's happened since Quentin we've Dunbar? The... Oh yeah, I didn't get to Quentin Dunbar. Um, I meant to get to Quentin Dunbar. So Pro Football Talk um, broke the story, Mike Florio, for whatever it's worth, uh, Florio. That Quentin Dunbar is on the trade market. The Redskins have made him available for trade. So here are a couple of thoughts. Number one, Ron Rivera basically wants to see people who aren't going to be a part of the culture change um, gone. <clears throat> now, personally, I don't think he should give these people away. But it's very clear that Ron Rivera um, has made it clear to everybody, I'm involved not only in a coaching change and a system change, and, you know, figuring out what my roster looks like change. I'm in the midst of a culture turnaround, and it's a big job, a huge job, you know, to turn this culture around. And the bottom line is I think Quentin Dunbar is a good player. I think he's a number one corner on a few teams, not most. I think he's basically a number two corner. That's what Cooley thinks too. Um, he mentioned that on our podcast a while back. He likes Quentin Dunbar. Um, but you know, Quentin Dunbar is not a number one corner on most teams. He probably thinks he is. I love Quentin Dunbar's game though. You know, he's big, he's long, he anticipates well, he closes well. Um, I really, really like Quentin Dunbar as a player. I'm very disappointed in the way he's handled this because he's due to make $3.25 million in the last year of his deal, which is underpaid. I would, I would totally agree with that. The way for this to be handled should have been him and his agent going to the Redskins privately and saying, look, you got a lot to, to get done here. You know, Ron, you know, uh, Kyle Smith, everybody, Ron Rivera in particular. You got a lot, Rob Rogers, you got a lot to accomplish here. You got a lot of priorities here. I'm sure I'm not at the top of the priority list. I understand that. But when, it, when it's time, we would like to talk to you about a contract extension. Um, because we want to be here, um, and 3.25 million is, you know, based on the way he's played here recently, is probably low. So we'd like to potentially commit for a longer period of time, so we don't get to free agency next year, which benefits you, Redskins, and we'd like to make more here in 2020. Um, I think if they had approached it that way. And who knows, maybe they did, um, but I don't think they did. I think what we've seen is we've seen Quentin Dunbar very immaturely take to Twitter and take to social media to say, initially, I want to be traded or released. And then he said, he called up Doc and said, no, I don't really want that. And then he said, no, I want to be traded or released. And when the news came out from Pro Football Talk over the weekend, um, Quentin Dunbar uh, responded um, with um, thankful for new beginnings. This was minutes after the a report from Mike Florio that Quentin Dunbar was being a ama- was being made available uh, for um, 
was be, being made available via trade. You know, uh, I can see why Ron Rivera doesn't want to deal with this. This was not the way for Quentin Dunbar to handle this, you know. He's probably not what he thinks he is in terms of his value. At the same time, he is a good player who could have been a part of something new with, by the way, a much better coaching staff. Um, so uh, personally, I think <clears throat> that this was the wrong way for Dunbar to handle it. I wish that he had handled it differently because I would have preferred for him to be on this team next year. They have a need at the position. Um, but if Ron Rivera wants to trade him because he doesn't want to be here, I don't have any problem with that. It's a culture move at this point. Now, you can't give him away. What's he worth? Um, he's worth a third. You know, I think he's worth somewhere around a third. I would not give away Quentin Dunbar for a fourth. He's a starting corner in this league. But it's interesting to see the last two big corner trades were last year. You know, the Darius Slay trade was the most recent here in the NFL um, uh, over the weekend. Or it might have happened on Friday. I forget the day that it happened. Um, But Darius Slay was traded last week to Philadelphia from Detroit for a third rounder and a fifth rounder, right? Slay's a good corner, is a good corner. He's a starting corner. You could potentially say he's a number one corner. You know who Pro Football Focus's number two corner last last year was? Quentin Dunbar, all right? By the way, Richard Sherman was one. Now, I'm not a big believer in all of that stuff, but um, Darius Slay, I think, is a better corner than Quentin Dunbar. He brought back a third and a fifth. Uh, I, 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 would, I would settle for a third. I wouldn't give him away. A third rounder for Quentin Dunbar would be something that I'd, I'd, I'd take and then move on from. All right. But still, you got it. Now you got another hole to fill because right now you got Fabian Moreau, you've got Kendall Fuller, um, you've got Stroman, you've got uh, Jimmy Moreland. You know, I, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head thinking about the corners. Aaron Colvin's a free agent. Um, so, you, you know, you, you've got a need here. Can't just be giving people away. See, there's also a big difference between giving um, be, between precedent setting with Trent Williams versus precedent setting with Quentin Dunbar. Let me explain. I argued last year that trading Trent Williams upon his demand to be traded would not be a precedent that you would be setting. That there were very few players on the roster, if any, that were Trent Williams. That if Ryan Kerrigan had come to the team because Trent Williams got what what he asked for and said, trade me, the Redskins, it's Trent Williams is different. Sorry, Ryan. Same thing with Quentin Dunbar. You're not Trent Williams. You're not Trent Williams. We're not going to let you set a precedent. With Trent Williams, it could be explained away. That's Trent Williams, okay? We could get a lot back for him in return if they had, you know, actually acted uh, at the appropriate time to trade him, but they didn't. We know know that, uh, of course, and we know the mistake they made by not trading him when they should have traded him. Quentin Dunbar, got to be careful. You know, Quentin Dunbar demanding on social media to be traded or released, and then all of a sudden you trade him. You know, you do have to be a little bit careful. Do not give him away. If there's not a good market for Quentin Dunbar, you tell him, look, you should have approached this differently and we probably would have extended you. You want to hold out? Go ahead. See what uh, see how free agency treats you next year after you hold out for a whole year. How about you come in and you play your guts out, as Coach Joe would say. You play really well and you can become a free agent next year. Or potentially we can sit down like, you know, mature people here, not via social media, and work out an extension. The time may have passed on that one with Rivera. 
But to me, you got to be careful because now you get into, you know who's going to have a year left on his deal after this year? John Allen. Deron Payne coming up. Matt, you know, I and I just uh, signed that deal. You got you got players that you're going to have to be concerned about that are going to look at a guy like Quentin Dunbar and say, he asked out, he's not even as good as I am if you're John Allen, and he got his way. Trent Williams was a different category. Um, I have no problem with them trading him. I don't want him to give him away. I wish that Quentin Dunbar had handled this and his agent had handled it more maturely and that they would have worked out a deal because I think the Redskins would have. I think it would have been in the Redskins' best interest to work out a longer-term deal with Quentin Dunbar. He's good enough to start for you at corner. You know, regardless of the number of games he's missed, and he's missed a lot of games. He blamed that he blames that on Larry Hess, by the way, and the training staff. Anyway, there it is on Quentin Dunbar. All right, uh, have a great day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.